Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. J. Wilbur Chapman. Uh, it's not a name that I knew until my time of study this week, but apparently he was an evangelist in the late 1800s. He, had, he held a number of different pastorates all over the Northeast for the most part, but he was most famous for traveling as an evangelist. He oftentimes would travel with D.L. Moody. And he liked to tell the true story of a man that he got to know through one of his evangelistic meetings. Uh, the man had run away from home to live... Uh, kind of a wild life, I guess. And after 17 years away from home, uh, he didn't feel he could go back home because his home was very, uh, as he put it, religious. And he had felt like he was a big disappointment to his parents. But after 17 years, he found himself down on his luck. And he, in fact, he became homeless and had to live on the streets for the better part of a year, begging spare change from strangers to just kind of eke out a living. Well, one day, uh, he came up behind a man and uh, tapped him on the shoulder and said, uh, Hey, mister, can you give me a dime? And to his surprise and maybe even to his horror, the stranger turned around and he instantly recognized him as his dad. Uh, his father recognized him too. And with tears in his eyes, he threw his arms around his son and said, You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. I've been looking for you for years, and I've finally found you. Uh, think of it, the man told J. Wilbur Chapman. I was a tramp. I stood begging my own father for 10 cents, when for nearly 18 years he'd been looking for me to give me all that he had. And fellow Christian, our Heavenly Father stands ready to give us all that he has. Uh, and, and this really rammed home in my own thinking when I consider the following promises that we encounter in the Bible concerning prayer. Take, for example, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Or Matthew twenty one twenty two, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Or John 14, 13 through 14, where it says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Or what about John 15, 7? If you abide in me and my, word ab my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. These promises are, you know, when we read them, uh, at least in my own mind, I'm instantly inclined towards this place of making conditional the language of our God. Surely he can't be saying what I seem to be hearing. These promises are so staggeringly all-inclusive. Whatever you ask, ask me anything. I will do it. 
And in light of such sweepingly generous language from God surrounding the potential of prayer, isn't it amazing how little we pray and for what little things we ask in prayer? We beg dimes from our Father who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. All around us here in Aristic County, in our own families, at our places of work and so on, uh, we see the tragedy, and I don't think that's too strong a word, I think that's a good word for it, we see the tragedy of people who are missing it, who don't know God and therefore don't yet understand the meaning of this life or hope beyond this life. And that is a tragedy, and by God's grace and in response to our prayers, we do earnestly hope to bring many who are far off, far away from God into a saving relationship with Him. But do you know what else is a tragedy? I would maybe even say a greater tragedy, that there are so many within the church who are also missing it. Although they know God as Savior, they are not bringing their neediness to God in prayer. God wants to be glorified through our need for Him. But how little do we ask of God? How little is our God glorified by a church that asks nothing of Him or that only asks little things? On the last day, that amazing day, when Jesus returns and we enter into the joy of our Master, we will enjoy Him in a way that we have never experienced before. And that will transcend all of the delights we ever knew in these days of decision. I, I like to use that term, days of decision, because that's what these days are. Uh, these are the days when God is pleading with mankind through the church to be reconciled to Him. He's calling on the church to live by faith and not by sight, depending fully on Him and nothing else. We're presented by our God in these days with choices which will result on that last day in consequences. On that last day, we will walk in the light of the decisions that we made in these days, some to eternal life and heavenly reward and others to judgment and wrath. Those who know Jesus as Savior will witness the untrammeled splendor of the earth made new, will walk the streets of the new Jerusalem and see the place that Jesus has prepared for us. I often think about this fact, you know, when Jesus said, I'm going, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you to bring you to where I am. And I think about the, that God, the creator God. The book of John says that Jesus is the creative genius who spoke the world into being. And he did that over six days. And now over the span of all these thousands of days since he ascended into heaven, he's been preparing a place for us. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> that what God accomplished in six days, He's been working on this for thousands of years, preparing a place for us. And we'll, we will experience all the delights of heaven. Chief among them, those delights will be the presence of God Himself. As Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yep, on that last day when we step into eternity, we will see the glory and majesty, the beauty and the awesome power of God. We will see the breadth and length and height and depth of God's grace like an ocean of love that was poured out for us, the immensity of the debt 
which Jesus paid on the cross. We'll see the endless splendors of the world to come as well, I think, as the horrors of judgment that we have escaped. On that day, as the things of this world grow strangely dim, who among us will not think, if only I had realized how everything I did on earth for the Lord would be so multiplied in heaven. I would have used my days under the sun so much better if I had known. We will wish in that moment that we had explored the possibilities of faith more. That we had asked God for more and also that we had asked for more of God. For greater intimacy, obedience, and devotion. And the, we, we would wish that we had been more yielded and submitted to the teachings of Scripture. We'll wish that we had asked to be more content. We'll wish that we had asked for more boldness. We'll wish that we had better understood how our created Creator God had crafted us to worship Him through service. We will wish that we had used our gifts more to glorify God. We'll wish that we had prayed much, 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 much more for the lost and for the work of missionaries overseas, for our brothers and sisters in the church as well as for more opportunities to talk about Jesus to the people we cared about. Yeah, on that day, when our eyes are opened and we see things more clearly, we will all certainly wish that we had made our lives count more for the Lord during our days under the sun. If only we had grasped the infinite resources of our Heavenly Father, trusted Him more, stepped out in faith more, taken advantage more of the promises and power of prayer. D.L. Moody, who was a friend and close associate of J. Wilbur Chapman, who I uh, shared in the opening story, uh, he once said, speaking about that moment when he entered into his reward at the end of time when Jesus comes back, he said, next to the wonder of seeing my Savior will be, I think, the wonder that I made so little use of of the power of prayer. One thing's for sure, when that day comes... We will not wish that we had spent more time worrying, watching the news, laying up treasures on earth, indulging the flesh, improving our outward appearance to the neglect of the inner man. We will not wish that we had talked less about Jesus, stayed home more Sundays, worshipped less, loved less, gave less, or been more concerned about the opinions of other people. No, those things will be utterly and completely irrelevant when we're standing in the presence and the glory of our God. On that day, they will appear as the cheap, unsubstantial, and unsatisfying things that they are. Even so, these are the things that tend to dominate how we spend our days, and our thoughts are focused on these kinds of things often more often than on the things of the coming kingdom. Now, I share all that to whet our appetite for the prayer we want to spend time in this morning. We want to take a look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. As I've shared with you on previous Sundays during this time of isolation, early on, God laid on my heart to begin a study of Paul's prayers with special emphasis on his prison prayers, mostly, I think, because uh, Paul wrote those prayers Uh, in isolation from his uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. He really wanted to be with them, but because he couldn't be, he was reaching out to them the only way he could, which was by uh, letter and ink, by paper and ink. 
And uh, that's been really interesting to me, and it's really transformed how I've been praying for you, church, during this time as we've been separated. And I've enjoyed praying this prayer over you this past week, State Road, and I want to share with you some thoughts, some insights from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and invite you to be praying those things over your brothers and sisters this week as the Spirit brings them to mind. Let me go ahead and read uh, the, the Scripture again. Beginning at verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In verse 16, Paul calls on God not to beg a dime, a small something. He makes his request, quote, according to the riches of God's glory. He asks that God would strengthen his friends with power through the Holy Spirit in their inner being. Inner being, or some some translations, your translation at home, might read inner man. And this refers to the real person, as opposed to merely the outward appearances of a person. In 1 Samuel, we read, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If man looks on the things that other men do and say, God looks on their heart, which is to say he sees the motivation behind the doing or saying. Outward appearances ideally will line up with the inner reality of a person, and certainly that is our goal as Christians who want to become sincere, from the heart imitators of our Lord's example. We want to live outwardly in a way that makes visible our inner treasuring of Jesus. But Scripture is clear that when it comes to human beings who have been marred and misshapen by the fall, appearances can sometimes be deceiving. Uh, Sometimes how a person appears on the outside is a facade. And this is what Jesus was describing in Matthew 15. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And one of the things we can take away from this is that God is not satisfied with externalities. God is not at all into behavior modification, especially if that outward behavior is not the overflow of an inner heart reality. Paul does not want to, um, Paul and, and God and the They do not want to browbeat us into agreement, into changing how we're doing. They want, Paul is praying here that they would be transformed from the inside out. So Paul does not pray for behaviors to change. He prays for a heart change in the inner being of his friends that would then translate into a new way of living. So Paul prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Uh, This is not a prayer for them to know salvation, by the way. I think some people have read and understood it that way. 
I, I think it's because he's, he's addressing Christians, he's calling upon the spirit that already indwells them to effect these changes in them. So I don't think he's praying that they would become Christians when he asks that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Uh, but this is a prayer that their inner man would be shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus, that they would become at heart more and more like the God who has saved them. I believe that's more the spirit of what he's saying. Paul prays that they, being rooted and grounded in love, that idea of rooted, that, that, that who they are is going to spring from this soil of love, that, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Uh, this is our Father God trying to convince us in the most expansive language possible all that is ours in Christ. When, when God in His Word is talking about breadth and length and height and depth, He's saying, don't beg dimes from me. <laughs> he wants us to understand the enormity of His love toward His people in Christ and the power that is our, at our disposal because He is our Dad. This love is wide enough to reach the whole world and beyond. It's wide enough that we should be praying big, ambitious prayers as a church, as God's people. It's long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It's high enough to raise us to the heavenly places in Christ, and it's deep enough to rescue people from the grave, the pit, Satan's grip. In his letter to the Romans, Paul was speaking about the abundant riches of love and grace and power that are ours in Christ when he said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the God who purchased you on the cross at such expense is not now going to get cheap with you. As we return to Ephesians 3, verse 19 poses a bit of a tricky question. Paul prays that his friends would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that does raise a question, how can a person know what surpasses knowledge? <laughs> this is one of those uh, points in the Bible where the finite limits of human language meets their inadequacy in the presence of God. Uh, we, if we could contain God with human words, we would be somewhat closer to being equal with God. And here, uh, this strikes me as the language of a man who has been surprised and overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Paul realizes that even such expansive language as breadth, length, height, depth are still inadequate attempts to measure the immeasurable. And so he prays that they would know a love that's unknowable. There are things we can apprehend without comprehending. In other words, we can know things truly without understanding them fully. Like somebody who gets to the top of a very tall mountain and takes in the great and awesome view stretching out below him, all Paul can say as he stands on this summit, looking out over the breadth and width and length and height, and he says, wow. Are you seeing this? <laughs> I pray that you would know the unknowable, that they may be filled. And then he prays that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
This is the end result of all of this. This is the ultimate request that Paul makes uh, in his uh, prayer for the church in Ephesus. His prayer that they would be strengthened in their inner being by faith, by the Spirit. His prayer that they would know the love that passes knowledge, that they would see and perceive, apprehend the, uh, the great enormity of God's love for them and the grace available in Christ. All of this has its ultimate goal in this, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then at the tail end of verse 19, Paul shows us this, that this is the ultimate desire that Paul is praying for his friends. And we have to ask the question, what does this mean? What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? And I think it means this, especially in this context, because Paul is talking to fellow believers. So he's not, again, he's not talking about somebody becoming saved. He's not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that saves a person. He is saying that someone may be a Christian truly, but yet at the same time be far from being fully all that Christ would have them be. And this is really what distinguishes one Christian from another. We're all uh, going the same place. We're all equally saved. But we do see within the body of Christ a spectrum of maturity in Christ. There are some who have made little room for Christ in their lives personally. Some give him more. And in some, Christ has the whole run of the place. Or viewed from another standpoint, in some, Christ is just present. In others, he's prominent. But in still others, again, he is preeminent. He is Lord over their lives. He, Jesus may be in us as Savior, but not yet as Lord. As mighty Redeemer, but not as friend. We may be conscious of his presence and yet seemingly ignorant of his power. And it's for the indwelling of Christ that Paul prays for the Ephesians that the fullness of God would be realized in them, that Christ would dwell in their hearts in the same way in which the divine fullness dwells in Christ. And this means vastly more than just an intellectual or philosophical or theological uh, apprehension of Christ. We may have all of that, all of the head knowledge, without having this thing that God is describing that is possible to us, uh, the f- being filled with the fullness of God. W. Graham Scroggy wrote, Christ may be in our heads without holding sway in our hearts. We may hold the truth about him without being held by him the truth. So Paul prays that they would be strengthened by the Spirit in their inner being, their inner man, the place from which their motives uh, flow and emanate from. That through faith, being rooted and grounded in love and knowing the incredible love of Jesus, that the end result would be that they would be transformed. Knowing these things about God has the end effect of transforming them. That from the inside out, they become filled with all the fullness of God. And this is a wonderful thing, State Road, for us to be praying for one another. Because what issues forth from our life is the overflow of our inner being. Who we be will translate into the things that we do. 
in verse 20, Paul once again just kind of, I don't know, throws his hands up <laughs> at, the in, at the inadequacy of human words to capture the infinite power and nature of God, his power at work within his church. And he simply says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Human words, again, can no more contain the deep mysteries of God than a hiker's boots can contain a mountain range. But they do allow us to explore the higher reaches and access some beautiful lookouts. Uh, that is the difference between apprehending and comprehending. Our, our words, our ability to see and understand God, we're able to apprehend things from afar that we can't fully wrap our minds around and understand. We can believe them truly without understanding them fully. Just like you can see an entire mountain range from the top of one mountain without really being able to explore the whole depths of it. It's far more than you can take in. And that's the nature of us uh, worshiping a God who is so much bigger than us. Uh, you wouldn't want to worship a God that you could neatly contain in your own uh, little mind, right? I mean, <laughs> it would uh, sort of make singing How Great Is Our God pretty silly. You just would hold up this little box in which your God is contained and you'd say, How great is our God! No, we worship such a great and awesome and amazingly big God that we have to become very comfortable with mystery. We have to be comfortable with believing truly things that we can't quite wrap our, small, our smallness around fully. And this vast contemplation of the power of God, able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, it's really important for us not to understand this language as an invitation to think up a list of things that we would like God to do on our behalf. I think some people, and this is very natural, uh, sometimes, um, well, yeah, I just think it's very natural for human beings because we are so steeped in uh, self-serving motivations, that there's a, there's a deep pr hum uh, pride in all human beings that when we come to a passage like this, our first instinct maybe is to see how it can be used to benefit us first. <laughs> so we say God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And, and, and we think, man, instead of asking a dime, I'll ask a hundred bucks. And I think what he's really saying here is uh, what we ask and think is just not even in the same ballpark as the things that God knows we need. What we want is not what's most needed. Uh, Paul links the, I, well, hold on. Uh, so I think this is not an invitation to think up a list of things we would like God to do for us. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a humble recognition in the presence of God that maybe even the questions we're asking aren't the right questions. The things that we're thinking and asking for are not even what God would most delight to give us. And so in this moment of prayer, as we come before God and we say, man, your ways are, as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are your ways higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. God, would you put a prayer on my lips that's pleasing to you, that agrees with your will? Will you, by the Holy Spirit, show me a vision of what I should be praying for even? Paul links the idea of Christians being filled with the fullness of God with an, with an appeal that they would, by the Spirit, come to know certain things. And so at least in part, our, our being filled will happen as a result of us coming to a certain understanding. And, and this is really where theology, Bible study, uh, getting a good solid understanding of who God is comes into the process. And of course, where does our knowledge of God and godliness come from? Well, that's the Bible, of course. And in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, God speaks to us about His Word. Uh, He says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and does not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. These verses tell us two things. One, that God has sent us his word because he desires it to accomplish something. He said, it will accomplish what I desire. And the second thing to notice is that the word is designed to achieve that purpose for which he sent it. So it's been sent with purpose and with desire, and it is designed, which means it is sufficient for the accomplishment of that purpose. And something I really think we as God's people need to see and understand, understand and let uh, seep deep down into our hearts is that the usefulness of God's word depends on whether or not we are using it for its intended purpose. But what is that purpose? Well, the short answer is for God's glory. The glory of God is the overarching goal of all creation. In fact, it's the overarching goal of everything God does. Paul concludes this very prayer in Ephesians 3 by saying, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the ultimate expression and exhibition of God's glory on the earth was found in the person of Jesus and in his sacrificial death for sinners like you and me. In Jesus, God's glory was displayed perfectly. That's what Hebrews 1.3 says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the purpose of God's word is the glorification of Jesus in our lives. For the believer, the word glorifies God as it shapes and conforms us into the likeness of Jesus. So let me put it to you this way. If the great aim of your life today is comfort, here, now, or anything else, achievement, standing, anything, you will find that the Bible is not very helpful to you. In fact, some of it may frustrate you. The Bible was not sent to achieve those kinds of purposes. But if the great aim of your life is to be like Jesus, to be filled with the fullness of him in your inner being, you will find that the Bible is so very practical and useful. More than useful, it is needed and necessary. The reason why many Christians privately find no benefit from Bible reading 
is because they have not yet made the achievement of Christ's likeness the great aim of their life. They have not yet set as the great goal of their life that they would be filled with the fullness of God and thereby that he would be glorified in them. So Paul prays this prayer over his friends in Ephesus. And and, and he asks these things for them. He doesn't ask for them that their lives would be spared. He doesn't ask for them that they would uh, enjoy anything of material comfort or standing in the community. What he prays for them is far different, more than I would ask or think very often in my own prayers. And I want to close now by praying a prayer over you, State Road, that is inspired by this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's not word for word, um, but it's the prayer I've been praying for you, over you this week as I have thought about you. Let's close now in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we never tire of calling you Father. We never tire of celebrating the fact that we who once were hostile in mind, far off and enemies of yours, have become your very children, brought near through Christ. We acknowledge, Father, that we and every other person has his or her origin in you. We owe you our lives. Forgive us, Lord, the arrogance of thinking we are better or more important than other people. Father, I pray that you would let your spirit work in us here at State Road Advent Christian Church, in my friends, my brothers and sisters, to strengthen us. Father, let your spirit work in us to strengthen us. Make the presence of Christ so real that we sense your love and live in such a way that your love flows from us. Change our heart's affections, Lord, so that your desire for us becomes the great central aim of our lives. Help us to understand how deep your love is so that it changes us into your very image. You who are all-powerful beyond anything we can conceive, we praise you, Father. You are worthy of all praise. You alone are God. We know what is right and what is wrong because you have revealed yourself to us in your word and you have given us the Holy Spirit. For the gift of life in Christ, we and all your people worship you. Together and forever we will sing your praise. In State Road Advent Christian Church, be glorified today and in all the days until Jesus returns. Amen. Uh, State Road, I love you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to the day when we can come back together. But until that day, I'm grateful for this time every week when we can spend some time together online. Uh, Go in peace to serve the Lord and be a living reminder of Him this week wherever you are.